You are listening to a podcast from the UAB School of Nursing Health Network. Good afternoon and welcome to Clinical Pearls. I'm Dr. Tracy White. We're excited to have Dr. Grace Grau with us today. Dr. Grau has been a registered nurse since 1986. Her career is focused on the care of patients in the emergency room, critical care, trauma, and of course, cardiac. She's been an acute care nurse practitioner since 2005 and joined the School of Nursing faculty in 2011. She currently has a faculty practice with UAB Medicine's Interventional Cardiology. She completed her doctoral studies in the area of presentation and management of women with non-chest pain myocardial infarctions. In 2015, she was inducted into the American College of Cardiology and is the charter president of the Alabama Association of Hispanic Nurses. We want to give a shout out to all those nurses watching from that organization today. Grace, it's wonderful to have you here with us today. Thank you for having me. Um, So we're talking today about heart attacks in women. Do all women present differently when they're having a heart attack? Right, so um, women present differently than men when they're having a heart attack, and also based on age, they may present with some different symptoms. Excuse me. So um, with women that are older, they, uh, we expect them to present similar to men, usually um, with the frank chest pain that most of us are used to expecting with a, a person presenting with chest pain. Um, and with younger women, they tend to present with symptoms that are a little bit different. So you mentioned earlier when we were talking, it can sort of be premenopausal and postmenopausal. Is that true? That's correct. So, so I like to use the analogy of um, when we build a house. When we build a house um, and we put in PVC pipe, um, the water drains very quickly. And I like to use that analogy to demonstrate the blood that is circulating through our bodies at birth. And then after 50 or 60 years, um, there's a little bit of cholesterol buildup perhaps that has built up in the coronary arteries. Mm -hmm. And this is equivalent to that debris that builds up in the plumbing. So now you see that the, uh, the water is not draining as quickly, and similarly with the, with the body. The blood does not circulate as briskly because now we have obstruction due to cholesterol buildup. And we see that more commonly as we age, both in men and women, and, we, uh, and postmenopausal women, we see it with them. So what's the difference between those women and perhaps a plumbing issue and maybe a premenopausal or younger women who wouldn't, they wouldn't have that same buildup. Am I right, correct? right. So um, what I have seen in practice since I started working in cardiology is that we have a lot of young women that were presenting with heart attacks. And when they went for their, their heart catheterization, what we saw was that none of the coronary arteries had buildup in them. Okay, so I started thinking, you know, and I'm going to use my hands now, started thinking my, my, my fist here represents the heart, and then these three fingers represent the main arteries of the heart, okay? And so when we go in to do a heart catheterization, we are specifically looking at the flow of blood through these epicardial arteries. And what I found was that these women had positive troponins and positive changes on their electrocardiograms consistent with heart attack, but their coronary arteries were not blocked. So I started questioning what's going on. So I started thinking of a tree. If you take a tree and you look at it, it's got roots, and you may see the roots on the outside 
of the grass. Mm -hmm. Then I started thinking, okay, well, those can represent the coronary arteries. But out of each one of those roots, there are smaller roots that are the ones that supply the nutrients below. And I thought, well, that's the same thing with the heart. We have the main coronary arteries, and then we have the capillaries, and we have the arterioles. And those are the ones that supply the actual muscle. And I wondered, could that be where the disease is lying? And so that's what we're discovering, that for a lot of these women that do not have blockages in their epicardial arteries, the disease is actually microvascular disease. And that's a new and emerging uh, area that's being heavily researched right now. That's really, that's an interesting way to describe it in such a visual. I really like that. Um, so when, you, when these women with the microvascular disease present or begin having those symptoms, what do those symptoms look like? And how are they different than, say, that traditional type heart attack that we're thinking okay. of? Great, great. Mm -hmm. um, so one of the things that we have noticed with women in general is that 43% of women that have a heart attack do not experience chest pain. What 43%. They 43%. Okay. okay. And in the past, um, they used to refer to those symptoms as atypical symptoms. But they are not atypical when you have 43% of women that present with it. They're actually pretty typical for them. So we now refer to that as anginal equivalence. And these symptoms could be uh, shortness of breath, that is unexplained, fatigue, that is unexplained. Um, it could be uh, some tooth or earache, neck discomfort, or possibly pain to the back which, by the way, is the posterior part of the chest. Um, so they can be vague complaints. Um, they could be an unexplained anxiety that the woman suddenly is feeling. And so most of the time, unfortunately, because they're vague, they're ignored. Why do women ignore that? So they're ignored for one reason, because they do not understand that these symptoms could represent heart disease for them. Another reason might be because they are so busy taking care of families. Um, they're younger, so they are starting their careers. Um, they attribute these symptoms to I'm tired because I've been working long hours, or I really don't have time to take care of that because I'm taking care of my two children. You know, so they're busy. They're right in the midst of their careers. They're right in the midst of raising their families. And unfortunately, women have a tendency to take care of everyone before they take care of themselves. So these are some of the reasons, unfortunately. I can imagine <clears throat> that they just chalk it up to normal everyday fatigue. They do. Busy. Is that a problem with, with us as healthcare providers? <clears throat> do we tend to also sort of just kind of... Yeah. Not so, pay attention to those. So symptoms. that's you know this is another important point too is that some healthcare providers are familiar with these um, anginal equivalents in women and um, others still are not. Um, so we see that uh, primary care providers, for instance, they need to be very aware of these symptoms because when a person comes in for a well checkup they need to be asking certain questions. And family history is a critical question that needs to be asked because heart disease is genetically predisposed. Um, so as healthcare providers, we need to ask that question. Also, 
particularly when I was doing my, my doctoral studies, one of the areas that I looked at was the knowledge of triage nurses when patients present. Because as we know, sometimes the emergency department represents the point of entry to the healthcare system for many, for many people. And so what I did was I did a, a survey and I, and I looked at what do nurses in the triage area use when they are triaging a patient. And so they rely very heavily, of course, on their triage sheet. And so I looked at the triage sheet at various facilities and a key item that was missing is information about family history. Really? And so this is huge, it's a huge issue because family history, if we can identify early that a patient has a predisposition due to family history, a father or mother had heart disease prematurely, then that increases the level of suspicion that this person is at high risk for heart disease as, as well. So that could be the light that turns on that makes us intervene early for this patient. So it, for a patient that does end up in the emergency room, what is the role? You, you mentioned the triage nurse is likely the first person that they're going to see. So what, what is the role of that triage nurse in getting that patient care immediately? Yeah. So, you know, as nurses, we're advocates for patients, and we are supposed to protect the public that relies on us to take care of them. So that's really important. So, you know, we need to um, not make presumptions. Um, in the past, you know, women were, were, oh, they're anxious or it's just a viral thing. Um, know that women present with vague complaints. And so automatically go ahead and ask, number one, um, do you have a family history? Number two, another thing that was found by a nurse scientist, Jean McSweeney, was that a lot of women that have heart attacks will have prodromal symptoms or they will start having some type of symptom four to six weeks before they present for their acute myocardial infarction. So a good question for a triage nurse is, which we're supposed to be asking anyway, is how long has this been going on? Or maybe ask specifically, have you had any of these symptoms? And go through the list of the anginal equivalents. Have you had any shortness of breath? Any uh, uh, sweating that's unexplained? You know, go through the list in the last four to six weeks. And if they have premature heart disease, uh, family history, or they've had any of those symptoms then they should be, uh, they should be uh, triaged using the chest pain protocol. The last question that I like to ask patients is, so tell me, what do you think is causing your symptoms? Because we are told constantly that we need to trust our gut. And so this patient's gut is going to give them an idea of what is causing their symptoms. And so when they tell us, we need to listen because they know their bodies better than we do. And then we need to say, hey, you know what? Let me go talk to a doctor. And it's our role as practitioners then to go and to advocate for this patient says, listen, this patient has a history of premature heart disease. They've had these prodromal symptoms. Their gut tells them it's heart disease. Can I please just get a quick troponin on them mm -hmm. and an EKG? Physicians are usually, and advanced practice providers are usually very amenable to working with that idea. So I, that's how we as healthcare providers, as nurses, can advocate for these patients. And I can imagine how much more quickly they are in the back getting their chest pain protocol rather than 
sitting and waiting. What's yeah, the- so that's important too because I looked at that when I was doing my paper too, so or my my project. So one of the things that I looked at what that I saw in the review was that some of these women will actually be triaged. Usually, if you come in with chest pain, you're a priority two. Um, if you're having a um, uh, stroke or then you become a priority one. But these women, because they're presenting with vague complaints, they are low priority. So they're priority threes and four. So they sit and they wait in the emergency department. And then when they finally go to the back and they're seen by an advanced practice nurse or, an, or a physician assistant or a physician, they are the ones that have been asking, so tell me about your family history. And now they find out three hours later that there's a history of premature heart disease. Now they say, okay, let me get a troponin comes back and it's positive. And this patient basically sat in the lobby and their heart attack evolved while they were waiting to be seen. So this is not acceptable anymore. We need to, we need to be proactive and there is no room for delayed uh, diagnosis or a delay in treatment in women with, uh, with heart attacks. I hear you saying that. The role <clears throat> of that nurse, that first person that the patient sees is so important. That might be the most important link. It that actually, I hear you saying to get them the treatment you know, it, that they need. It actually is, and we see what we have noticed is that when you have experienced registered nurses, these are the ones that will generally ask more questions, even though it's not in the triage form. Mm-hmm. They know because they've lived a long time, so they've seen different presentations. But when you get your newer nurses that do not possess that experience, um, they are not likely to ask. So that's where the changing of the actual triage assessment tool is critical. And so we need, actually, the Emergency Nurses Association plays a huge role in making recommendations for practice in the emergency department. And so that is something that the the Emergency Nurses Association can help to change nationally. And that really is my goal, nationally, to change this. So what kind of resources can nurses use to better understand what they need to know to recognize this and help patients understand what's going on? Right. So one of the things that nurses can do, the first thing is go to uh, the AmericanHeartAssociation.org website, and you can find a lot of information there. The other thing is that um, if you are a nurse that works with cardiac patients on a regular basis, you should become a member of the American College of Cardiology. They have a cardiovascular uh, team that is composed of registered nurses, uh, nurse practitioners, uh, physician assistants. That's the cardiovascular team. Um, So the American College of Cardiology is a great resource for learning more about heart disease in women. So we have a question from our audience. Okay. What misconception about heart attacks would you like to see disappear? Well, for one, the misconception that it doesn't happen in younger women because we know that it happens in younger women. And actually, I was just reading an article by Dr. Barry Mertz, which is a prominent cardiac cardiologist, and she was actually even addressing emerging risk factors in young women, um, risk factors that we're not even considering yet, such as premature uh, deliveries of, uh, birth, of babies. Um, if a woman delivers before 37 weeks, 
her risk of cardiovascular disease increases exponentially. If a woman has uh, develops hypertension during pregnancy, her risk of heart disease increases. So there are a lot of emergence, emerging risk factors that we're not even considering yet. Let's go back a little bit to... Um Talk a little bit about primary care. So even before we get to the, the triage, what role does primary care <clears throat> screening and patient education have in preventing that trip to the emergency room if, right. if we have that ability? Right. So great question again, um, because emergency departments are often used as primary care uh, or primary entries. <clears throat> so whenever possible, we need to be an active participant in our care. Okay. And we need to establish care with a primary care physician um, so that we can start screening for risk factors. So if we start identifying uh, risk factors early, then we can intervene early to prevent these diseases from coming to fruition. So primary care, really important. Um, I hear often, well, that's great for the person that is insured. But what happens to the person that is uninsured and doesn't have access to primary care? So that represents a very important uh, population. And so to those people, I would say that in every community, every hospital in every state has a requirement to, de- to deliver a certain degree of, in- of, of care to people that are uninsured. Mm-hmm. Okay? And so I know, for instance, that there are clinics that will provide care based on a sliding scale, based on what you're able to pay. Um, and so that would be an option for those individuals to be able to access primary care. What kinds of screening would they do, um, insured or not insured? If you went to a primary care uh, physician, what kind of screening do they do to see if you are at risk, besides just asking about history? Right. So, um, so pretty much the primary screening has a lot to do with history. Um, we're going to ask you about your family history, your individual history. Um, again, with these emerging risk factors, it's important to start integrating those into our history taking, uh, which we're currently not doing consistently. Um, you know, I would say for anyone that's going to go, the uh, Go Red for Women, um, goredforwomen.org with the American Heart Association has a lot of resources, and they actually have an un- a, 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 um a link that will take you to understanding risk factors, and it's a quiz. And you can check off um, these risk factors, and you can actually take this with you when you go to your primary care uh, provider and say, hey, I have some risk factors, you know? And uh, so that's important. It's really important to have a voice. Um, As, you know, we we are the patients. We are consumers of health. And when we go and we establish a relationship with a healthcare provider, we're going to get a service. And so if for some reason you go and you are um, verbalizing your concerns or your symptoms and you don't feel heard, then you need to feel comfortable saying, hey, I really have a concern about this and I really need you to hear me. Or you can say, you know, I with all respect, I don't feel like you're hearing my concerns. And if you still feel that your needs are not being met, as a consumer of health, you have the right to choose. And so you can go and find another healthcare provider. My recommendations are that if you're a woman, that you should try to Google, do a Google search and see if you can find um, women cardiologists 
that provide heart health care to women in your community. And you can just Google that. I just Googled it this morning before I got here, and I found four uh, institutions in the Birmingham area that have heart health clinics. So that would be my recommendation. If you don't feel you're being heard, very respectfully bring it up. And then if you still feel your needs are not being met, you need to go elsewhere. You need to be an advocate for yourself. I would think that nurses, even not in the emergency room only, but even in a clinic setting or at facilities like that, are also really important to help that patient verbalize those concerns. Absolutely. Nurses are critical in helping patients, in giving patients actually permission to have a voice. I'm constantly telling my patients, listen, first, what can I do to help you meet your needs? Um, you are the most important person on this team. So you tell me how I can help you get there. Mm -hmm. um, and we need to say, it's okay for you to step on my toes because that, that, you know, you're the patient. I need to hear you. You know yourself better than I do. Right. Please do not be afraid to step on toes because sometimes to advocate for yourself, it will require that. And that's okay. It is okay. Um, we have another question. Uh, is there an extra heart evaluation tool available to use for triage nurses is the specific question. So I think you were talking a little bit about maybe developing a better yeah. guideline. <clears throat> so the tools that <clears throat> hospitals use, um, they create them um, based on the recommendations of Emergency Nurses Association, and they have been created based on old data. So as new information is emerging and we're discovering that women present differently, we're starting to understand the importance of genetic predisposition even more uh, as it relates to disease, then now is the time. Now is the time for us to go back and let's revise the tools. Let's take a look at the tools we're using. And when I was doing my paper, I did a search of the literature. And honestly, the tools that I found for triage nurses, none of them looked at family history. What I was able to find was I found a, uh, a tool that was used by an emergency medical services uh, provider, and that one asked about family history but that was the only tool I was able to find. It's really surprising to me because we encourage our, when we teach our nursing students to ask those questions, it just seems so odd to me that it is not part of that history taking yeah. so I for think every we, disease. Yeah, so I think, with, you know, with to be fair, um, triage is a rapid sorting of patients. And I think that when the whole triage uh, tools were developed, we were looking at quickly asking the things that were going to help us categorize the patient quickly into, is it life or limb threatening? But since that time, the priorities and the, the triage priorities have evolved. And we went from life or limb threatening to can wait to it's really a clinic patient and shouldn't be here in the first place. So now we have five priorities. So now maybe it's time for us to go back and let's look at either developing a new tool um, and seeing if we can improve, you know, just add that factor in there. What are the repercussions of not catching these women having heart attacks early? Yeah, a lot of repercussions. Um, first of all, 
um, it's a quality indicate it's quality issue. Um, when we do not identify any disease that is going on, when we don't diagnose it promptly, then we are not able to intervene promptly. And so in these women that are having ischemia to the heart, remember that time is muscle. The longer that time passes that this tissue is being injured, the higher the risk that you're going to lose the mechanical function. And so a lot of these women will wind up having uh, consequences such as heart failure that may develop, um, anxiety disorders that may develop. Um, and so it really is costly not only to the individual's quality of life, but it impacts their ability to carry out their activities of daily living. Maybe they have to go on disability because they cannot return to work. Um, maybe they're unable to meet the needs of their family members. If they have small children, it's very hard to keep up with a, with a toddler when you're having to stop because you're short of breath. Um, from the standpoint of the healthcare system and cost to the healthcare system, it is extremely costly because something that was completely preventable, first through primary prevention, Secondly, through early recognition when they present to the triage area, now has resulted in a very costly situation. Uh, so it, is, it, it has a lot of impact, and we need to pay attention to it. Right. Um, I, you know, I can't imagine. You mentioned to me earlier, some of them, I mean, they might be disab like on disability. Correct. I mean, unable to really care for their for their families. Correct. Um, when we talk a little bit more about screening and, and primary care, can anything be done to prevent this oh, kind absolutely, of yeah. heart attack? So, so first of all, everyone wants to prevent any of this, male, female, mm -hmm. regardless of the age. And so we want to look at, again, knowledge of your predisposing factors. Secondly, is we want to have a healthy heart diet. We want to look at foods that we eat. If we have a family history of high cholesterol, then we know that we're at risk for it. So it becomes more important to look at the kinds of foods that you eat. Um, we want to look at our weight. We want to maintain a, a healthy weight because we know that weight um, can lead to the development of diabetes, which is another risk factor then for heart disease. Um, it, we shouldn't be smoking, but if you smoke, it's time to consider quitting. Okay, so you know we know that tobacco, that nicotine, the minute it hits the blood, it competes with the oxygen, um, and so it can influence uh, the development of uh, a heart attack. Um, it damages the inside of the blood vessels, so by doing that, it contributes to heart disease. Mm -hmm. uh, so you know, heart healthy diet, social habits. Um, it's heart healthy to have one or two glasses of red wine a day and a little bit of dark chocolate. That's heart healthy, but not a whole bottle of wine. Right. <laughs> because then it could be cardiotoxic. Uh, so, you know, just having, um, identifying risk factors, not denying that you're at risk for it, remembering that one in three women have cardiovascular disease. It happens across the life lifespan. You could be 30. You could be 70. Um, you know, so just considering those things and then having a healthy lifestyle. Is exercise part of that? Absolutely. Is it okay Absolutely. to push and, and exercise so that you feel your heart 
beating, yeah. you know, so, out of your chest. Yeah. So, you know, if you haven't been exercising on a regular basis, mm -hmm. it's a good idea to get a, a well visit first. See your primary provider first and make sure that and tell them, hey, I want to start an exercise program. And then they will do some screenings and evaluations. Make sure that it's safe for you to start. Okay. Then um, at that point, what is recommended is 150 minutes a week um, of, you know, uh, pretty sturdy exercise um, or 75 minutes of heavy-duty aerobic exercise. Um, most guidelines will say you should be exercising on at least five days of the week. They really recommend on most days of the week. Okay. At least 30 minutes on most days of the week. Awesome. It's about time to wrap it up. Um, I want to make sure that we have talked about those res those extra resources. Can you name those couple again that you mentioned earlier? Absolutely. So the American Heart Association, AHA.org, um, GoRedForWomen.org, the American College of Cardiology, and you can just Google American College of Cardiology. Um, and um, of course, you know you have a lot of great resources in your communities. If you have, um, if you have uh, uh, academic institutions that are affiliated with hospitals, those are great resources uh, just locally. Okay. Um, if you want to find out what services are available for people that cannot afford them, then you need to Google in your communities. Uh, just do a Google search and find out, you know, uh, what healthcare providers provide uh, heart health for women. Okay. Um, and if you can't find out, then call the American Heart Association in your local community, and they generally can point you in the right direction. Perfect. We have about three seconds to wrap it up. What is the one thing that you want to leave our audience with today? Everyone needs to practice heart-healthy habits, and everybody needs to realize that you're at risk for heart disease, regardless of your age. Please advocate for yourself, and nurses, please advocate for your patients. Perfect. Grace, thank you so much. What a wonderful discussion. Thanks for listening to Clinical Pearls from the UAB School of Nursing Health Network. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. This podcast is also available in video form at youtube.com forward slash C forward slash nursing network.